Abraham Hamilton III is a husband, a father of six amazing kids, a homeschool dad, a lawyer, a Bible teacher, and a national radio and television talk show host. He serves as American Family Association's general counsel and the host of The Hamilton Corner, which airs Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. Central Time on the American Family Radio Network. He also serves alongside me on the Homeschool Legal Defense Association board. And today we're going to talk about the culture and some issues that have come up in the news. This is going to be a fascinating conversation. This is the Heidi St. John podcast. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. So Abraham, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Well, this is your first time on the show. And as I said uh, earlier, you and I sit on the board of directors for the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. That's how I met you. Uh, And before that, you had come very highly recommended from uh, Mike Ferris, who's a mutual friend, who said he heard you. Did he heard you? Was it NRB? Is that where you were? It was at NRB last year in, in Florida. Okay. And what were you talking on? <laughs> uh, I was, I discussed a whole cry of Maranatha. Um, and, and it really stemmed from, I'll try to make this as succinct as possible. Yeah. It stemmed from my radio program where I often take calls and I address issues of the day. Mm-hmm. And there was one particular caller who was really, you could hear the trepidation in her voice. Her, mm-hmm. her voice, voice was trembling. And she said, Abraham, what are we going to do? And then she says, Maranatha. And, and her, her expression of Maranatha, which means, you know, I will come, come mm-hmm. um, is a right expression for believers. We should have a, a yearning for the return of Christ. You know, when the when Paul described to the Thessalonians that Jesus' return will be as a thief in the night, it's only going to be thief-like for the unbeliever. Because for us, we're, we're looking forward to it. Yeah, we right. We're ready. Let's go. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's not the Lord's will for us to have a cry of Maranatha that is escapist in orientation. Mm. You know, a whole cry of Maranatha would include... Uh, the reality that as much as we yearn for our Lord and we love him as much as we say we love him, we'd also love his purposes for us. Mm. And Acts chapter 17 says he's determined before time, the boundaries of our habitations and the times in which we would live. So the fact that you and I are alive in 21st century America, Come on. all the is going on is a di- direct product of God's divine providence, but also an assignment. Because yes. Acts 17 goes on to say he does that, you know, determine the boundaries of our habitation before time. And the times that we would live. Why? So that men should seek God. Our God desires a harvest of souls in our time, just as he's desired in every generation of believers that preceded us. So a whole cry of Maranatha would have equal parts, this equal tension, best exemplified by the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter one, that to depart, I don't know which one is better. I want to be in the presence of God. Absolutely. The tangible manifest presence of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. But to be here now is fruitful labor. For the Lord who's planted us here. So having that whole cry would have us equally invested in yearning for his presence as we are in yearning to fulfill what he's destined us to fulfill in the here and now. So that's a whole cry of Maranatha. So that's it's what so about. good. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's where we've seen the eschatology of the modern evangelical church really mess up our involvement in the culture because everyone's just like, oh, no, I'm just waiting for the trumpet. I'm just, you know, y'all do you because the Lord's coming back and I'm just going to sit here, Maranatha, I'm going to sit here and just wait for him. And you're saying, "Uh uh-uh, you know, get off the bench, get onto the battlefield. You were literally born for this time in human history here by the providence of God. Yeah, because a Maranatha that is escapist is self-centered in its orientation. It's all about us. Lord, things are getting so hot. Get me out of here. Rescue me from here. As opposed to having our Lord's perspective, if Christ is our Lord, heaven is our home. That's not up for debate. That's a reality. 
So then how now shall we live, as Francis Schaeffer says? Well, we, uh, the notion of being so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good is actually a misnomer. If we truly are heavenly minded, we'll be the most earthly good because we already know what our eternal destination is. And so that informs our engagement in the here and now. Yeah, it will inform your engagement and it removes the spirit of fear from it yes. because we know that our days have already been ordained for us and it allows us to fulfill the purpose that God has in our life because we're not worried, what can man do to me, right? My my role is to do what God asked me to do until he either takes me home or until Christ returns. Amen. Amen, Amen. I love it. That is why Mike Ferris was so fired up because he was like, you got to hear this guy. This is amazing. <laughs> so uh, just a joy. Tell us a little, because this is your first time on my show. And I'm so happy to introduce you to my audience. You also have a show on American Family Radio. And uh, and tell us a little bit about kind of who you are, uh, your family, kind of uh, what what you're doing right now. Yeah. So Abraham Hamilton III is my name. I'm married to my beautiful wife, whom you've met, uh, Maria Hamilton. She is beautiful. Uh, we have six children. Uh, the Lord really convicted us uh, about discipleship, especially starting in our home, which led us along that trajectory toward homeschooling because we truly view it as discipling our children from our home. And as Jesus commanded that we are to worship the Lord with our heart, soul, mind and strength. Mm. So the cultivation of the mind is central to the mandate of disciple making. And so uh, that is what drove our commitment uh, there. Um, I'm also an attorney. Uh, I serve as general counsel for American Family Association behind the scenes. And also have a, a program on the American Family Radio Network and a television program on the NRB TV network that airs on Friday evenings uh, to where the simple objective, and some days I feel like I could do it more effectively than others, is to develop a biblical worldview lens through which we navigate the issues of the day. All too often we have people uh, who want to either develop a biblical worldview, but really are kind of deficient on the application side of it. Then we have others who want to address the issues of the day, but they're willing to do so by putting their Bibles to the side. But we try to put that, put those two together and develop a framework from which that we don't, um, as I just said, hide out or absent ourselves from the culture. But we understand yep. that God has placed us here in, in by his divine providence to have this kind of, as I referred to earlier, this escapist orientation really is to kind of thumb our nose in the face of the one who we claim to have divine providence. Yes. You know, he's the one who planted us here now. Yeah. Not us. I didn't decide, you know, I right. should not be alive in the 21st century. <laughs> God has done that. You know, and so it's for his glory. And so yes. my investment as a believer, first and foremost, is that I want to live full out uh, for his glory. And I want my children to see that. And I want my children to join me in that commitment. And by God's grace, should he tarry? Uh, that he will have a remnant of witnesses available to him, uh, starting first from my home by God's grace and extending from there. Yeah. And I think that that focus on family discipleship is something that you and I absolutely have uh, in common. Jay and I have been raising seven children for the last 32 years and watching the impact now that our grown kids are having in the culture, particularly as they're being and have children of their own. Now we're going to have our fifth grandbaby wow. uh, this year. It goes by uh, Abraham. I'm serious. Don't blink because you're going to miss it. Right. <laughs> it's like you, you, you look up and all of a sudden your kids are, they're, they're grown and you realize that the time that you had to disciple them, which is the most important thing that you're ever going to do on this earth. Uh, it starts at home. It starts at home with your own family and you guys are really doing that. But you just you touched on something a minute ago that I want to come back to because you were talking about the importance of instilling and uh, educating the rising generation and Christians today about what it means to operate from a biblical worldview. In other words, everything that we take at us, whether it's something we see on the news or it's a, a guy who claims to be a pastor or a preacher, or especially you know a TV minister or whatever, we're, we then are capable 
because we've studied the word of God to filter what we hear through scripture, right? Mm -hmm. And then whatever comes out on the other side of that, you're able to frame the world around you uh, mm -hmm. based on your understanding of scripture. So we live in a very, uh, a very poorly educated spiritually, at least generation of, of Christians. I would call them biblically illiterate. They know all the words to all the modern worship songs, but they don't know God's word and they can't defend it. And when we have things thrown at us on the regular, like we have right now, it becomes even more important that we are not only ourselves students of the word, but we are listening to people who have demonstrated by their lives that they also are disciples of Jesus and students of the word. And there's a situation that's kind of unfolding right now with a, a beloved pastor, someone that I have listened to, I mean, honestly, for years and years and years, one of my favorite expositors of, of scripture. Uh, Alistair Begg, and uh, you were talking to me about this a little bit before we started recording, kind of shocking to me, but I thought, let's talk about this on the air because I think the the situation, the conversation is going to be very familiar to most of our listeners. So bring us up to speed a little bit about uh, that situation, kind of how it's unfolding, because it's all over the news. It's not a secret. Yeah, no, it's not a secret at all. And I, I just want to mention this as well, because uh, I'm on the opposite of the spectrum from where you and your husband are, because <laughs> my oldest is 13 years old mm. and our youngest is two years old. So, hey, come on, two. <laughs> we're rocking and rolling uh, in that regard. But, but yeah, the situation that you mentioned really is, it's really, I'm, I'm actually processing this in real time as we're talking about it, because this, yeah. this hit close, hits close to home for several reasons. First, because as you, as you mentioned, Pastor Big is a beloved pastor, one of my favorite uh, expositors of the, of the word of God as well. And yeah. he also uh, had had now a program on the American Family Radio Network as well that I'd listened to. Um, uh, yeah, me but, too. But um, what, what, what occurred back in September of 2023, uh, he had a, his program to where a grandmother called in to ask for counsel uh, as to how she could lovingly and gently inform her grandchild that she could not come to her wedding because her grandchild purported to marry uh, a transgender individual. And much to this grandmother's surprise, um, Alistair Begg, Pastor Begg said, well, does your grand grandchild know what you believe? Does your grandchild know where you stand on the issue where, well, you should go to the wedding and you, you should bring a gift. Uh, you should not only go to the wedding, you should bring a gift. And, and he went on to explain that, you know, we as believers need to build bridges for the gospel. And I, I just, I couldn't believe that that actually transpired. And uh, following that 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 council, which happened in September, we started to get questions about that at AFR. Some of our listeners and supporters were asking us, have you heard these comments? Where do you all stand on these issues? And so uh, I, on my program, January 22nd, if anybody wanted to go and look that up, you can get the podcast or the live audio stream or whatever. Uh, I laid out a, a biblical case uh, because the reality is this. Identity, human sexuality and marriage are all gospel issues. They're all gospel issues. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that he made them both male and female articulated first and foremost in Genesis 1, affirmed by Genesis in Matthew chapter 19, affirmed by Jesus, I'm sorry, in cha Ma Matthew chapter 19. For this cause shall a man, an adult male, marry his wife, be joined to his wife. Gune in Greek is only, which is the root word for a particular medical discipline that only women's partic women participate in today, gynecology. Yeah. Um, I don't know, also, man. I don't know. We don't even know what a woman is right now. I mean, Abraham, come on. I mean, I, I know the world may not, but I thought but we did. You do. Yeah, I, <laughs> I <certainly> do. do. <laughs> I certainly do. Uh, and so that for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother's articulated in Genesis 2, affirmed as well by Jesus in Matthew chapter, not, chapter 19. Um, this anthropological history undergirds the script, the, the gospel in that it asserts the authority, the applicability, and ultimately the efficacy of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Well, if we as believers say to the world, 
well, we can we can come up lame on Genesis one and we can come up lame on Genesis two. Well, guess what we just done to Genesis three? We snatched the rug from under ourselves concerning Genesis three. Well, what's in Genesis three? Oh, uh, not much. Just the whole explanation for why we have knee pain, for why there's sin in the world and for why there's only one name under heaven by when by which men must be saved. And so by seeding ground on Genesis one and Genesis two, we compromise the authority and the applicability of That's Genesis right. three. That's yeah. why yeah. this is a gospel issue. Yeah. You know, and so which even saddened me more that principals at, at at AFR, we attempted to confer with Pastor Big and his team about this to have a a, a, a coming a reasoning of the of the minds concerning scripture together. But unfortunately, uh Pastor Big and his team, you know, reiterated their commitment to that expression and refused to to step away from it, refused to repent of that counsel. And uh, unfortunately it's resulted in uh, his program no longer being on American Family Radio, which really, I mean, I mean, this is this is an important topic. And I was looking at AFR's statement that they released uh, after they severed their relationship with uh, Alistair Begg. I mean, this is grievous to someone like me who's been listening to Alistair for a very long time and have I hold him in in high regard. But these are issues that we must not compromise on. And I think this is why it's so important because there are going to be people listening to this go, what? Oh, come on. It's just a, it's a disagreement between friends. No, it's a misinterpretation and a misunderstanding of the gospel. And that is, that is the problem, right? That's where we are right now. Uh, they said, and I quote for people who are uh, unfamiliar with this controversy, recently it came to our attention. This is uh, American Family Radio, that Pastor Begg has made statements that were unbiblical and failed to line up with the decades of faithful adherence to scripture that listeners have come to expect from him. The statement read, in essence, when the question was asked of him whether or not a family member should attend an unbiblical wedding ceremony between whom two homosexuals, Pastor Begg counseled to, uh, to attend and take a gift. It continued at American Family Association, we believe it to be an act of unfaithfulness to God to attend a ceremony that celebrates any union outside the biblical model of marriage as between one man and one woman. Members of our leadership team held a call with Alistair Begg's team, which he, he did not attend, right? He, he, he didn't did even go. Yeah. And we're unsuccessful in in convincing them of his error. As a result, we will no longer air Pastor Alistair Begg's Truth for Life program. So let's talk about this, Abraham, because I get questions, as, as I told you before the show today, from listeners all the time saying, you know, what harm can it, can it do? So uh, it's not unusual for me to open up my inbox on any given day and see a grandmother lamenting that her grandson or granddaughter has entered into a homosexual relationship and been uh, invited, you know, and it's under really, it's a kind of almost a hostile invitation, right? Mm -hmm. And saying, hey, what can we do? What should I do? And my counsel has always been, well, you can't go because you would never celebrate something that God says brings with it death and suffering. And that's kind of the point that you're making. How important is it for people like you and me, just regular people? I mean, forget the Alistair Beggs of the world who have these ginormous platforms. Let's bring it down yeah. to our everyday theology. Why, why was this such a big deal? Yeah, for several reasons. And I always endeavor to do my best, not merely to give my opinion, but to see what the word of God says. You know, when when right. Paul writes his epistle uh, to believers in Rome, it's always important to reiterate that notion that Paul is talking to Christians in Rome. In Romans chapter one, where he lays out his case against mankind, which includes uh, God's condemnation uh, in the New Testament of same sex relationships, both males with males, females with females. Mm -hmm. It goes on to to culminate this discourse in chapter 32 of Romans chapter one, 
that says that though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve death, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And so Romans 132 offers a condemnation not only for the directly participating principles, but also for those who would uh, approve and, and, and celebrate the Greek rendering there is to, to celebrate and to promote these ungodly relationships. In this instance, uh, you have a pastor counseling uh, a grandmother to go to an event that celebrates Mm-hmm. This union that God declares to be abominable, yeah. which is no union at all, you know. And I, I don't say this to be unnecessarily provocative, or or to be in, insensitive, or to be obtuse, or to be belligerent at all. But God, as marriage's definer, designer, is its sole definer. He alone gets to set the parameter, mm-hmm. set the parameters for what marriage is. Marriage is a pre-political institution. Before there were civil governments, God established marriage, and the only qualified candidates for marriage is one man and one woman. That's not my opinion. That is God's word. And so here, the the, the text I, I referred to in Romans chapter one, uh, where the Lord condemns, rebukes and condemns those who would celebrate what he's already declared to be abominable. Ephesians chapter five, it says that we believers, again, Paul writing to believers in Ephesus, that we're to have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness, rather to expose them. Now, to take the posture that communicating the truth of God's word is unloving is, first of all, completely unbiblical. God has told us that correction from him is evidence of his love. Secondarily, standing on God's word says nothing about the manner of delivery. You don't have to pound your chest, you know, like a silverback gorilla and, oh, this is blah, blah, blah. No, you can lovingly and gently say, I am sharing this with you because I care about you, not merely temporally. I care about you eternally. Mm-hmm. And I would be negligent in my responsibility as a Christ follower to give you the greatest news that could ever be given. And also to warn you, should you persist in this manner of living without repentance, you'll miss out on the greatest thing that you could ever hope to enjoy. You know, you deliver it with gentleness, with love, with compassion, you know, with prevailing, with travailing if necessary. You don't have to be obtuse in your delivery, but we as believers are required, duty bound, to hold fast to what the word of God teaches. Mm. Well, and I think we're struggling, obviously, uh, to do that, particularly in the Western world. But I find it interesting. I was looking at uh, some of his comments, at Alistair Begg's comments, and he said, I think you've obviously you've already read this. He said, I've lived here for 40 years. uh, And those he was born in Scotland and Mm -hmm. those who know me best know that when we talk theology, we talk stuff. I've always said that I'm a little bit out of sync with the American evangelical world. And that's for this reason. I'm the product of British evangelicalism, represented by John Stott, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Eric Alexander, Sinclair Ferguson, and Derek Prime. I'm a product of that. I've never been a product of American fundamentalism. Ouch. Whoa. I come from a world in which it is possible for people to actually grasp the fact that there are nuances in things. Everything is not so categorically clear that if you put one foot out of this box, it's got to be removed from the box for forever. You know what what grieves me about this? I mean, and obviously, I want to hear what you have to say. A, that he called this American fundamentalism. There's no, no, this is just what the Bible teaches. So it's not, uh, it's not a cultural thing. It's a truth thing. And we have to, we have to be, we're bound by it as Christians, no matter where, no matter if we come from Africa or England or Ireland or Scotland, no matter where we come from, uh, as believers in Christ, we're bound to one Lord, one gospel. That's what unites us. And what he's saying is that there are nuances between American evangelicalism and British evangelicalism. And he says, the other thing that I don't like, 
is he says, uh, you know, he comes from a world where it's possible for people to actually grasp the fact that there are nuances yeah. and things. What an era, the arrogance. It's just, it's shocking to me coming from, and actually yeah. let this be a lesson to us, right? That we can dig our heels in and instead of saying, okay, I probably shouldn't have, okay, that was maybe bad advice. Let me go back and clarify you know, yeah. why I said that and why, what, where my heart was at the time. But instead of doing that, boy, he's doubling down and actually insulting the people that are trying to correct him. And those remarks were delivered in a sermon at oh, church. No. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. Those remarks were delivered in a sermon at church. There's several things. So, so he has reduced a stern disagreement concerning the authority of God's word to American evangelicals being intellectually incapable yes. of navigating the text with an erudite disposition that one who hails from Scotland has. That that's a gut punch, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, it's it's remarkable. Just last night on my radio program, I walked through Jude, uh, where the apostle Jude explained that I wanted to write to you all about our common salvation, but false brethren have crept in unawares. Uh, perverting the grace of God into licentiousness. And he said, I'm, I'm, I'm writing to, to compel you to earnestly contend for the faith that has been once and for all handed down to all the saints. Mm. You know, I love his accent. I appreciate the fact that he's from Scotland, but um, your um, region of birth doesn't give you a corner on the market of truth. No. The gospel is for all man, all mankind, in all generations, all over the world. It applied to... Uh, the first century area where t modern day Turkey is today, just as it applies to America, it applies to Ethiopia. I had similar conversations with people trying to say, well, you don't understand this, you know, because you're from the black church or the white church. I said, there's no such thing as a black church or a white church. There's God's church. Yeah. Just like this notion of British evangelicalism, I appreciate you understanding the tradition from which you um, were, were, were reared in the gospel, but that doesn't give you a different approach to truth. That doesn't give you the, right. the wherewithal to nip and tuck and to really do great violence to the text of scripture, mm -hmm. you know, and I, it, 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 it really, really hurts. And then the broadside swipe to say that I'm basically, I'm not a Pharisee and I'm not a religious fundamentalist. Yeah. Well, yeah, that God, fundamentalism for fundamentalism goodness either. sake. Yeah. 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 But the word of God is the word of God. This, yeah. this, is, this is not something that is, um, that would mutate based on the audience. <laughs> so you know, here, here, here's a question for you. So you're going to, people are going to say, well, we have, we have Christian Liberty, right? So talk to, talk to us about that for a minute. So we have Christian Liberty, right? There are things and, and we do, we want to, we want to be united on the fundamentals yes. and where we have Liberty. And I can think of lots of areas, right? This sure. is absolutely true in the homeschool world, right? We watch sure. people argue to the death you know, for years over whether or not women can wear pants and whether or not, you know, all these things. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can we just take a step back? You don't actually need to sever a relationship with your brother, your sister in Christ over this issue. You have liberty, right? You sure. have liberty uh, in this issue. Uh, what's yeah. the difference and how, why, why has the American Family Association decided this is a deal breaker? Very simply, as I articulated earlier, the, the discussions of liberty apply to secondary issues that are not salvific in orientation. This is a right down the plate, 99 mile per hour fastball, right down the plate, a gospel centric issue as articulated from Genesis 1, 2, and 3, affirmed by the New Testament scripture. Uh, before we came on the program, I was I was just sharing with you my lament over this, my grief, uh, because the institution of marriage, the union of one man and one woman, is the only 
human institution that God allows to be descriptive of Christ's relationship with his bride. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is in a category separate from other relationships. And when you consider um, the category that God places the marital union in, and when you see, as I've explained earlier, the gospel centrality of identity, mm-hmm. you know, he made them both male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The protoangelion, the seed of the woman, which which would arrive within the context of a uh, human institution of marriage, although we know it is it is a divine uh, phenomenon. The seed of the woman would brute, would crush the head of the serpent. This is gospel centric, which changes it from being in the realm of liberty. Christian liberty. Yeah. You know, to eat eat shrimp, not to eat shrimp. You know, mm-hmm. to you know, to the musical styles and things of that nature. The gospel, the central salvific tenets of the gospel is what removes us from the realm of Christian liberty. The body of Christ does not have the authority to ascertain a different opinion on this than what God has revealed to us in his holy word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these these issues are dividing the church as we knew that they would. Uh, The Bible teaches us that as history continues to roll along and we come closer to the return of the Lord, we're going to see more and more issues like this. Uh, come up. And we saw it in COVID, right? COVID was the great revealer of whether or not churches would stay true to Paul's exhortation to not forsake the gathering. So we've seen kind of a, a, a slow but steady move away from things that are gospel centric. And it's a confusing time that we live in. And I know that you you and I both share, obviously, a passion for homeschooling and for uh, family discipleship. How important is it, Abraham, that parents, because you're talking to a lot of young parents right now who are listening to this and trying to get their own children ready for this landscape that we find ourselves on where the the ground shifts underneath your feet. And this was a shifting. This was a massive shift. This is going to affect because so many people love Alistair and including myself. I mean, I have a great love for he's a brother in Christ this yeah. is a pretty serious issue because it, it is so central to the gospel and because it's going to further divide the children of God. How does a, a, a mom and dad, how do parents right now get their children ready for the environment that they're sure to face in the coming years? Yeah. I, I want to add that I, I love Pastor Big as well. I mean, yes. I, I told you before coming on that I personally benefited from his ministry. Uh, and I, I do pray that he comes to repentance on this issue. Um, and and changes course. Um, a long time ago, I had a cousin who was a banker. Back when we had these things, you might have heard of them. You know, actual physical dollar bills. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait, uh, yes. <laughs> and um, she, one day, she was explaining to me how they trained bank tellers in the, the 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 banking system to identify counterfeit currency. And she said, you know, there's no way we could prepare for all of the various iterations of counterfeit currency. So what we did is spend all of our time studying, learning, handling the real thing currency. And what the, what the banking industry learned is by having such a consistent investment in the real thing, it sharpened their discernment to be able to readily distinguish the counterfeit. Even if the counterfeit was a slight nuance, I never forget one of my favorite descriptions of discernment is from uh, pastor Charles Spurgeon. When he described discernment as not merely identifying right from wrong, but being able to identify a right from almost Almost right. right. Yeah. And I, I I would urge, because I'm right there with the young parents. Like I said, I have a two-year-old. My oldest <laughs> is 13. And so we endeavor to spend our time to invest ourselves in peering into the authentic. What does the word of God say? 
we consistently challenge our children. What do you believe? We require them not to merely give us their opinion. What is your authoritative scriptural source for that belief? Mm. And we require them to be able to articulate that and to then be able to explain why they adhere to that, that particular belief. And this is something we do with routine with over and over and over and over again. Uh, because as I said earlier, that God has planted us in this time with all of the confusion, with all the uncertainty, with all of deception, the deception that is afoot. You know, the Apostle Paul even endeavored to warn the Colossians in Colossians chapter two. I'm writing so that you would not be beguiled. I'm writing so no one would may delude you. Well, what was the source of delusion? Human philosophy and the elemental principles of this world. And so by having a consist, consistent diet, if you will, of truth, it sharpens our capacity for discerning uh, the counterfeit. And, and the consistent diet of truth is not merely a consumption. It's not merely intellectual act, exercise, but it is knowing the truth, learning the truth, loving the truth and mm. living the truth. Wow. The more that we have that combination of those four components, it readily uh, develops in our capacity to discern the error and then by God's grace, with the strengthening of his spirit, anchored by his word, that we're able to stand against the tide of error that is culminating in our day and our age. So what I'm hearing you say is there's just no substitute for teaching your children the truth. You know, we we live in a uh, obviously these are very perilous times. And I think we're, we're lazy as parents. And I've talked about this, you know, ad nauseum at my show over the years that we as parents have outsourced the 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 upbringing of our children. We outsource it to the school system, whether that be a Christian school or a government school. We outsource the spiritual training to our children, to youth pastors. Uh, and God says that responsibility falls to the parent. It's not that we can't get help. It's obviously not that we won't let our children go to Sunday school or anything like that. But when parents check out, the parent becomes uh, a victim also of an inability to discern spiritually, because as we teach our children, we're constantly learning. But yes. then we are, we're, we're ignoring God's clear instruction to parents to teach their own children when you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk along the road. And it's never been more important uh, than it is right now. I'm out of time for today, but you're going to come back for happy hour. We're going to spend a little bit of time. I want to ask you a theology of family and uh, talk about, you know, you have six children. Obviously, I have seven children. We live in a world that says children are a burden, but God says children are a blessing. I'd love to talk to you about that and just sort of your theology for family and family life and where you came up with that. In the meantime, where can people find you? So we're going to get off the regular show and hop on over to Happy Hour. Where can people find you online? Yeah, you can, if you you just look up the Hamilton Corner, anywhere you look, you'll find us. We have podcasts, all of the platforms, we're on them. You can also go to AFR.net, look up the Hamilton Corner, click on uh, the, the, the podcast page, the radio show pages. I'm on live every day at 5 p.m. Central Time. That will be 3 p.m. Pacific Time, um, five days a week, Monday through Friday. And um, you can also find on YouTube, if you would rather watch the show, you can see this beautiful face <laughs> on YouTube, uh, as well as on Facebook, um, uh, Instagram, anywhere, socials, you can find the Hamilton Corner, you'll find me. I love it. Abraham Hamilton, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'd love to see you back here. Let's do it again real soon. I'd love to. For more information on today's guest, you can hop on over to HeidiStJohn.com, click on the podcast, and I will link back to all things related to Abraham today in the show notes. Also link back to some of these articles that are explaining more of the controversy happening with Alistair Begg and his uh, subsequent departure from American Family Radio. Uh, This is something we need to be in prayer over, you guys. I want to encourage you. We love each other by doing what God says is right 
and by praying for each other and holding fast to the truth. Don't forget, we've got an awesome opportunity for you coming up. Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage can be right here at Firmly Planted Family, February 16th and 17th. Come on out, spend a weekend enjoying each other and learning more how you can be, uh, how you could actually love being married. You guys, we should love it. I'm coming up on 35 years of marriage. Come on, let's love being married. And we do that by doing it God's way because God's ways are the best ways. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you are a subscriber to the Heidi St. John podcast, stick around because Abraham's going to come back and we're going to talk about a theology for children and family in this day and age. It's sure to be a fiery conversation. I love this family. I know you guys will too. Thank you guys for listening. I'll see you right back here again at the intersection of faith and culture.